about death, and so it might be a little bit heavy, especially for those with children. Fortunately, the children's sermon was about slavery, plagues, and the death of, it, of all the Egyptian people, and so I think we'll be a little bit okay there. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I want to start off by sharing uh, the first experience that I have of death. And so on June 20th, 2006, uh, I remember my dad, he came into our room, and so he knocked on the door around 5 o'clock, and to me and my brother, he said, hey, David, Sam, uh, we might be going to Korea today because your grandfather's in the ICU. Okay, go back to bed. Two hours later, he knocks again. David, Sam, we're going to Korea today. It's not looking good. And so, you know, our family, they start doing whatever they can to they call ticket, or like the ticketing people, they're calling friends, because financially, I think, I'm not sure how we were at that point. We're asking for assistance, all that sort of stuff. We struggle. Somehow we go through all the things, and, and we get the tickets, right? And we pack. It's about 10 years since, we, since our family has gone to Korea. So we don't really know what's going on. All we know is we gotta get there as fast as we can. And so it happens, right? We're on the flight, we're on the flight to Chicago. It's my first flight that I can remember. And then the second flight, which is right afterwards, is to Korea. It's like 14 hours. I find out I'm actually scared of flying. Uh, not very good, not a great flight. We go there, right? We arrive safely in Korea. We go through customs. And then we, you know, we go, we get our packages, we get all our stuff, we go out and I see my uncle for the first time. And he's happy to see us, but I also see tears in his eyes. And he's there and he says, you know, though we're making our introductions and you know, saying hi to one another. And he says, actually, uh, yeah, our grandfather, or his, for him it was our dad passed away uh, about an hour ago, which would have put it about the time that we landed in Korea. And so, I mean, this sucks. Right? We did everything that we could. We go to Korea, we, all the money, whatever, time, everything spent, we're tired, we get there, and we don't make it. And you know, my dad, he goes to plan the funeral with the siblings. They're trying to figure out how to do uh, certain things, how to you know, split up the cost, how to make things go. During the funeral, there's a lot of mourning um, by a lot of these old Korean, and, Korean men and women, one of whom was my dad's ex, which was kind of weird. And he was like, hey, David, this lady could have been your mother. And I was like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> I'm in eighth grade. I don't know why you told me that. Right? But, and for some reason, that's the one person I remember out of all of this, right? which is why I'm sharing it. Um, so it's a sad time, also kind of weird and dark. Um, but we're in Korea. For two weeks, we get to spend time with our family, right? people that we haven't seen in years. My dad and my mom, they get to see their friends who they haven't seen in years. And you know, all this happens. And it, again, it, it was difficult because we weren't able to see him before he passed away. Uh, and yet, there was still some good came, that came out of it, whether it's the family being able to mourn together, whether it's uh, all the different sort of reunions that occurred. So why am I talking about this? Death is not an easy topic. It's a beautiful day outside. I think this is like the last thing that anyone would expect. The person who is your first time here today, I'm sorry, it's, it's not this dark, I don't think at LGM, but it is what it is for today, right? <laughs> and for many of us, right, I wanna talk about death because a lot of us probably know someone who has passed away or um, might know someone who is close to passing away or if not personally, uh, they've seen death in a TV show, in a movie, wherever. Right? Death is kind of all around us. We read about it in the Bible. Again, we hear about it in the news. And we mourn, especially when it happens to our families, the communities that we're a part of, and all these things. And again, it's something that everyone's going to go through at one point or another. But as natural as death is, I know I'm really scared of it. Right? I think about death and my blood runs cold because I can't grasp the, the concept of eternity. 
Uh, for other people, it brings up these emotions of sadness, of anger, of, of fear, of confusion. Uh, like me, again, there might be that existential crisis. What's going on? What happens when we die? It's not easy for us to think about whether we're young or whether we're old. Right? If we're young, we probably don't think about it. If we're old, probably are doing our best to try to avoid it. Um, but avoidance really, it doesn't really help us uh, solve the problem. Avoidance rarely helps us have peace with an issue. Uh, and so that's why I wanted to look to the scriptures and see what does the good news have to say about death. Um, and so that's why our passage for today is Genesis, uh, Genesis 3, 17 to 19, where we first see the start of death. And so, um, again, I'll read the scriptures to you. Uh, it's this, Genesis 3, 17 to 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So for context, chapter 3 is when we see the start of sin happening. This is when the serpent goes to Eve, and it's like, did God really say you shouldn't eat that fruit? And Eve's like, ah, I don't know. And then eventually Eve is tempted, she eats the fruit. And then Adam, where we don't know where Adam is. Adam technically could have just been right next to them. Some scriptures would kind of support that part. Uh, Adam might have been just in the general vicinity, not really knowing what's going on. Uh, but ultimately, Eve goes to Adam, um, and, and then Adam eats of the fruit. And so we see God calling out for them. Right? And it's not because God doesn't know where they're at, but you know, God's still calling out for them, knowing that they've still, still sinned. And eventually, Adam and Eve kind of out themselves. And they're like, hey, we're naked. And God's like, you're not supposed to know you're naked. And then Adam and Eve are like, ah. And so God knows, again, something has happened. And so he goes to the serpent, and he curses the serpent. You know, you shall um, go on your belly for the rest of your life. And then also he gives the first promise of a savior, which, spoiler alert, if you're a Christian, uh, it's Jesus. Um, but... He turns to Eve, and then as a result of her sin, he says, hey, now you will have pain during childbirth. Uh, so a small tangent, I don't know if Eve knows what childbirth is. There is no explicit mention of God telling Eve what's going to happen. So Eve might be like, what's that? And God's going to be like, well, you'll find out. Um, and so maybe it was an animalistic instinct that Eve knew that she would have to, re- I don't know. Ultimately, he, God tells Eve that childbearing is going to be painful, and as a result of the fall, that, the rule, um, that her husband would rule over her. And so finally, we get to this point in today's passage where God is faces towards Adam. And so in verse 17 and 18, God tells Adam, it's because of Adam's willingness to listen to his wife's voice over the command of God that the ground is now cursed. So obviously, it's not because Adam listened to his wife. That's not the sin. The sin is that his wife's voice, for a moment, had greater uh, poverty, authority, whatever you might want to say, it, it influenced them more than God's command did. And so therefore, um, this, it, it's, it's almost an act of idolatry that Adam displays at this moment. And this message isn't about idolatry, but I think it's worth pointing out, uh, just for a lot of us, we have people that we trust in our lives, right? And a lot of times when we think of being deceived by voices, it might be people who are like the bad people and the bad voices, which is true, uh, but sometimes it might be our over-reliance on good voices and people that we trust over the commands of God, so just uh, food for thought. Um, But to get back to the actual passage itself, we get to this point, um, and again, when Adam and Eve are in the garden, Right, to set a little more context, everything's provided for them. All the trees are there, all the fruit, all the vegetables, all the plants, anything that they could hope for is all there. Right? Even water supply. You have four rivers that run through the Garden of Eden. It's watering all the plants. All Adam has to do is just take care of this place, and Eve as well. And now that's being taken away from them. 
And so the curse that, uh, that God gives to Adam is that he's going to have to toil over this land. He's going to have to work over this land. It's, not, it's no longer going to be a joyful, reasonably manageable job, but it's going to cause pain. It's, he's going to have to go to grounds that aren't fertile, and he's going to have to pick up rocks. He's going to have to uproot weeds. If you're a gardener, if you've been on a missions trip, you maybe have experience of this, and it's not an easy job. You sweat a lot. It's really hard work. You're tired. And then even though you do all that work, there's no guarantee that the plants are going to grow well. Right? You might kill the plants by overwatering, by underwatering. Um, there is no precedent that Adam has at this moment of like, how do you farm plants? Right? All he's ever done is just water and take care of the ones that were already given to him. So Adam's going to have to go through all this work. Cursed is that ground. And then it continues uh, into 19 that uh, he's going to, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. And by the sweat of your face, it's not just actual sweat. The sweat is not a result of the fall. But it's the sweat that comes from all that work and toil. It's the work, it's the, it's the hard work and everything that comes with it, uh, a sweat that almost comes with a sense of agony, right? That is everything going to be okay? Is, there, there's a lot of stress as he's tilling these fields. It's causing him to sweat right, to this point. Um, and even farmers today, you might have a full yield of crops that die due to disease, climate change, weather, things like that. Right? There's no guarantee that whatever Adam produces that he'll be able to eat of, but ultimately... Um, still, it's not like God fully curses him. There are some provisions of food uh, that's given where God uh, promises three times, you will, still have, you will eat from the food of the ground, you will eat from the plants of the field, and you will eat bread. Right? So all this work, all this stuff, and you will eat bread and the plants and all that other things. Um, so again, small tangent. This is the first mention of bread in Scripture. I don't know if Adam and Eve know what bread is. Bread is not mentioned before. Um, but when we think of bread now, you know, you get flour, you get water, you get eggs, and you have a bread machine, and then uh, whatever that sourdough starter is, and then bam, you have bread. It's not that hard. But this is like, they don't know what bread is. <laughs> and so they're going to have to plant all the wheat, plant all the grains, plant all the stuff. They're going to have to work on it, collect it. They're going to have to mold it. They're going to have to shape it. And the only promise that they have is that God will still provide for them, and that and the bread will sustain them in addition to the plants and all the other stuff that comes with it. And then we get finally to the reality of death, when it says we will return, uh, the animal will return to the ground as uh, he is dust, and to dust he will return. And so, yeah, in all of chapter 3, this is sin entering the world, the fall of uh, Adam and Eve, and then we get to Genesis 4, where it's the first recorded death in Scripture, when Cain kills Abel. Um, so, just in, overall in these two passages, there's two parts of death I want to focus on for today. Uh, one is being this rhythm of death in daily life, and the other is physical death. And so uh, the first one, there's no theological term I can think of, right? But in verse eight, 17 to 18, again, as God had given them everything, everything was provided for them. All they had to do was literally take care of the land, and now that is taken from them, that is gone, right? There is this sort of death uh, that is introduced into the, the rhythm of life. Um, and so now we get to this point where Adam has to learn these things. He has to start doing these things for himself. And that's something that a lot of us experience in our daily lives, Right? And so we all go through rhythms of death and life. Uh, for babies, there comes a time when mom and dad aren't going to feed you anything. Or, or what? No, take the back. They're not going to feed you like with the spoon, right? They're not going to go wee, right? You're going to have to eat by yourself. You're going to have to poop and pee by yourself. You don't have a diaper that they'll change for you. For a teenager, right? There will be a last time in which your parents pick you up when you're sleeping on the couch and then put you to the bed, right? For parents, there's going to be a last. There's going to be the time when your kid starts being embarrassed by your hugs and kisses, and then suddenly you're like, what happened to my kid? And then there's puberty, and you're like, what happened to my kid? Right? And there's this constant cycle of death and life. 
college students, you eventually you'll probably have to learn how to do your own laundry, how to buy your own food, cook your own food, plan what you're going to eat. Uh, you're going to have to start paying bills. You're going to have to find out roommates, things that you've never had to do before. And less and less, you see the sort of death of the, of, of the life stages before you. Right? It's not to say everything is gone, but more and more there are things that stop, that come to an end. Right? For young adults, job searching is terrible. Applying for grad school is terrible. Right? What am I going to do with my life? It's a terrible concept. Right? And so examples upon examples upon examples of how things will fail. Um, for older people, there's a loss of hair on your head. There's a growth of hair in your ears and nostrils, random parts of your body, white hair that appears. For the elderly, there's a loss of independent living and more reliance on others to take care of you. Again, cycles of death in life. So some of these are just a part of growing up, but again, death into the rhythm of life is what is experienced in this passage. So for me, personally, to share, um, I started growing nostril hairs. No one told me this would happen. No one told me how to get rid of it. I was not informed, and this is how I know perhaps I'm growing old. The next thing that happened was this past December, where I did leg day with my friends. I had not worked out in a very long time. When I was younger, I could do this. This time, um, I kept on falling over, right? It averaged itself like once an hour. I went to the emergency department, and then they told me, hey, stand up. I stood up. I sat back down in the chair. Why? I can't stand up. Doctor is concerned. Doctor does an MRI on me. I get an MRI done on my spine. He looks at it. Hey, everything's fine. You can go home. You just overexerted yourself. <sighs> okay, I have new mission insurance. Praise God. I go home. Next day, I go to check on what my actual diagnosis was. And I kid you not, the official medical diagnosis of my ED visit, weakness. <laughs> Medically diagnosed weak. December 12, 2022 was the day that I officially turned old. Right? It was also the day that my pride had died. Right? Cycles of death in life. It's not easy. It's terrible. I'll be turning 30 years old this week. And this is the official age of old for millennials and maybe for Gen Z as well, right? And all the Gen X and boomers are like, 30 is nothing. Um, but for me, it's, right, it's like, well, I don't, I don't really care, right? 30 is great. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but there are a lot of times where, again, I'm realizing I can't do what I did in college. I can't do what I did in high school. All-nighters are really hard. Sleep, I cannot sleep four hours a night anymore. So all these things are just examples of ways that we experience death in, in the rhythm of our daily lives. And for some of us, it's happened. For some of us, it will happen. Some of it is currently happening. A lot of these different things are going on. And so we, a lot of us nowadays, we do our best to try to avoid this sort of death. Right? We cling on to whatever we have before. Right? On weekends, we go home to our moms and our dads, and we try to get the laundry done there. Right? For older people, you dye your hair. You make sure you go to the salon. You get your stuff done. Um, I don't know if people do this here for cosmetic purposes, but you have Botox that other people do. They try to delay the inevitability of death that comes in their daily life. And so it terrifies us. It grips us, and, 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 and there's all this stuff that happens. Right? And yet, as much as we try to avoid these deaths in our daily, uh, in, in our daily lives, we're not guaranteed these things, right? which leads us to the second point of death that we find in this passage. There's a physical, literal death. Right? Um, I, I work as an eye technician as well as being a youth pastor. I, I get to see people's eyes with illnesses and diseases from ages of all people. Um, I, one day of each week, there's the ocular oncology where people have cancer uh, somewhere towards the eye. And sometimes you can get rid of it. Sometimes uh, we get notes saying that patients have passed away, young and old. And we mourn these physical deaths because they're worthy of being mourned. Right? And we have 
uh, the hope of heaven, we have a fear of hell, we have thoughts of an eternal sleep or slumber, you know, depending on your religious belief and all these different things. Um, and so there is this reality of physical death that now shows up in the scriptures. And for the Israelites in the Old Testament, uh, they didn't really have a hell or a heaven to think about. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are 65 references to this place called Shul, which represents, in some measure, like the land of the dead. And so there's a lot of different ways we can think about Shul. People don't really know for sure what it is, um, but it's represented in a couple of different ways. It's a, a place where, a neutral place of dead where everyone goes, and it's just a waiting place until God does something. Uh, other times it's mentioned as a place with negative connotations, where a lot of the Psalms, David says, um, Lord, save me from Shul, save me from the grasp of Shul, the cords of death are upon me in Shul. Um, so it's this negative place. Other places, uh, in Luke, it mentions something called Abraham's bosom, which I didn't really look into. It's the only time it's ever mentioned uh, in the scriptures, and yet it denotes a part of hell, um, or a part of Shul where uh, perhaps there's like sections of Shul where righteous people go versus wicked people. Um, again, we don't really know. Right? And there's other mentions of death in the Old Testament. Some people who are really righteous, like Elijah, they ascend to heaven, they don't die, uh, which is interesting. Um, but other people, times death is described as sleeping. Right? And so there's all these different ways that the Old Testament people had thinking of death, but it was a reality to them just like it is to us now. And the only hope that they had was that God would eventually save, send a savior to them to rescue them from Sheol, whether alive or dead. So again, just like how it is now, death is inevitable, uh, inevitable for all of us. Our, friend, our family, our friends, our enemies, um, our pets, all of us will die barring Jesus' return. And there's no guarantee that we're going to be able to wake up tomorrow. There's no guarantee that, um, that we get to live and, and die from old age in a peaceful death surrounded by our family members. This is just the reality of, of, of how death scares us and has a hold of us, uh, especially for those who are apart from Christ. And yet, for those of us who are Christians, what hope do we have in this life? Right? If, this, is if, if this physical death is here and it still gives us fear, then what, what can we do about it? What can we look to? Right? And it's not written in this passage, but it's what's referenced uh, before. Right? God promises that a Savior will come. And so the hope that we have as Christians is in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man who lived the life on this earth from birth to death as he took the ultimate punishment and consequence of sin through the cross. In the resurrection, we have hope for what comes after death, that death is no longer the ultimate end for us now. And so we have the hope of Jesus, the promised one in Genesis 3.15 again, who will take down the serpent. And through the faithfulness of Mary, the mother of uh, the mother of Jesus. We have, hope of, we have the hope of Jesus who was born into this earth through the pain of childbirth, right? And as he, he will be the perfect one who will rule over us, um, men and women in the kingdom of God. We have hope that the one who has overcome the voices of temptation, that he will be faithful to the command of God as we see from Jesus um, not falling for the temptation for Satan in the desert. We have hope in the one who bore the crown of thorns uh, and overcame the cursed ground and tree on Golgotha uh, on the on the, on the cross, who sweated to the point of death and agony while he was praying uh, before he was captured and crucified. When he was on the cross, we have hope in the one who is the bread of life that will sustain us. In every image of God that we see of hope, we see that he counteracts whatever curse that was put upon Adam, and that is the hope that we have in Christ. And ultimately, through Christ, no longer are we simply dust who will return to dust, but we are children of God who will return to God as his children. This is the hope that we get to carry as Christians, that we are privileged to carry. Um, and it doesn't mean that there's no mourning. It doesn't mean that there's no grieving. 
Doesn't mean that there's no lamenting, doesn't mean that, that these things don't exist, but the hope that we have is that the ultimate consequence of sin and death is no longer on us. It no longer has its grip over us. We have an assurance that our physical deaths are not the ends, uh, but we can look forward to what comes afterward. And in that uh, hope, in that freedom, we have freedom in this life now for how we can live, right? Because this life, again, it still matters. Even though we have all of eternity to look to, even though we're not, we don't have to be worried about death, hopefully now then we can focus on what we go through in this life. Because this life still matters. Um, and so what do we do in this life before we get to death, even though we don't have fear? Right? Our hope is that just as we try to be like Christ in every other way, let us be, with, let us be like our Savior with the life that we have on this earth that matters. Right? We live in a sinful world where people die of injustice. We live in a sinful world where people don't know of this hope that they have. We live in a world that needs humble and faithful servants of God to be the hands, feet, and voice to others, to represent God in that way. And so we still experience death, but it is not our end and may not be the end of many others that still need to hear of this hope and the good news that we have in Christ. So what do we do? What do we do in reality of the death in our lives? Um, well, today's sermon is called Memento Mori, which is Latin to remember death or to remember that we will die. And in that phrase is where uh, I'll just say three short applications. Um, the first one, acknowledge the rhythms and death, the, of life and death in your life. Are there transitions that you're going through now? Right? Are you new parents? Are you new grandparents? Are you new college students? Are you, is that something that's going to happen in the future? Right? The more we try to avoid death in our daily lives, the more, um, yeah, we, we, it just doesn't do anything for us. Right? But the more that we're able to come to terms with death, acknowledge death, understand that there is this rhythm, right? it prepares us to be able to see, to, to be able to, um, see the hope of whatever is next. No longer are we just scared of growing old and whatever that's going to look like, but now we can look forward to something. Right? That though one part of our life may die, that there is new life in another. And so reflect, what are those rhythms of life that you're mourning right now? Or the rhythms of life and death that you're mourning now? The second one is repenting. And so not this past Wednesday, but the week prior to that Wednesday, it was Ash Wednesday, which marked the start of Lent. And the ashes on that day represent um, the, this very, the, one of the verses, Genesis 3, uh, 19, for we are dust, and to dust we shall return. And we have new life, but what do we do with that new life? Right? We're still, we still sin. Right? Regardless of whether we believe Jesus or not, we will fall to sin. Um, and so, in though, mm, sorry, uh, we will sin, and yet we have the opportunity to be able to look back and to be able to turn towards God. And so, with the life that we have now before we die, there is a call that we have to repent and to turn back to God, to live a life willing for God. And lastly, uh, just live a life that seeks to glorify God. Right? We all have one life that we live. Um, so, hopefully, it is one that points to God. And this is not a call for everyone to become pastors and missionaries. Um, by peer pressure, I might have, I go to some of you, like you've been, I joke around, you should go to seminary all the time. Uh, it's all a joke, right? But the reality is, the world needs faithful engineers. The world needs faithful doctors, faithful nurses, faithful restaurant owners, faithful students, faithful mart owners, whatever. The, the kingdom of heaven and everyone on this earth, we need faithful people in all of these places so we can be a light in dark places, that we can share this message of good news, that death is not the end anymore, right? And so hopefully... Uh, may, we may be a people that would be able to go and spread hope. So, um, well, praise band slash haram, if you can come on up. <laughs> uh, as we close, uh, yeah, I, I just want to share. It's, it's been a really rough February for me and for a lot of others in this area. Uh, for in February alone, there was three funerals I had to go to unexpectedly. Uh, the first one was from a local pastor who was a major source of support for me, as well as many others and a mentor to a lot of the Korean pastors in this area. 
Um, another was the, an unexpected death of a former sort of youth student of mine. Um, and uh, yeah, that was especially difficult uh, to, be, to have to see his parents, to have to know that someone younger than me had passed away. Um, and then there was a last one who was a missionary at our church who unexpectedly died in a car crash. This is probably the reason for why I'm talking about death right now. And it's not just these personal deaths, but we had the deaths of, um, the, from the earthquake that happened in Turkey where the death, total is, the death toll is almost 50,000 at this point, maybe even more. Uh, we have the shooting at MSU that uh, caused the death of three students, injured five um, on, on, with the shooting on campus. So it's, it's very much a reality in this world. And there's been a lot of grieving, there's been a lot of mourning, there's been a lot of doubting, there's been a lot of questioning, there's been a lot of other things, but the faith and the hope that I hold on to is that death is not the end anymore. That after death, in death, after I die, that there is this life, that there is an eternal union and glory that we get to share with God and all the saints uh, through Christ. And so, yeah, whether that be the death and the rhythm of life or the physical death that we or many others will face, we have the reminder and hope of the resurrection that gives us new life here and for eternity. So with that, let's just take some time to reflect and pray on your, uh, and reflect on your life. Um, are there things that, that concern you? Are there deaths that you're facing? Uh, and ask God, Lord, would you give me hope in the midst of this through the cross? Uh, so let's pray uh, before we worship and sing. day. We thank you that you are God over all things, uh, that uh, death cannot stop you, death cannot hold you. Uh, Lord, for we have hope uh, of, the, of, of the life after death. Uh, Lord, that though there is the cause of sin that caused us to die, though we will die in this world, uh, that we have hope for the next, that we have hope for eternity. And Lord, may we not um, now then just spend all of our time thinking about eternity, but Lord, in this life that we have here, let it be used for your glory. Lord, as we go through the rhythms of death and life in our daily lives, uh, Lord, may we cling on to you, that you would lead us through those times as difficult as they may be. That in that, that we may appreciate your resurrection, that in that, um, that it would take away the fear that we might hold. And Lord, may we be able to praise you all the more. So, Lord, we thank you in your name we pray. Amen.